The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Through a mix of solo and interview episodes, I want to showcase all the different ways the spirit world helps guide our daily lives, whether it's through intuition, signs, mediumship, channeling, the mystical, or the paranormal, our altruistic spirit guides and other members of our loving soul team are always there, ready, able, and willing to guide us. Welcome to another episode of A Guided Life Podcast. I am your host, Laura West, and today I have with me Julia Gordon-Bramer. Julia is a professional tarot card reader, award-winning writer and poet, a Sylvia Plath scholar, and a former professor in the graduate writing program at Lindenwood University. Hello, Julia. Thanks so much for being here today. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to dive in and talk to you about the amazing world of tarot. I have several friends who are really good at reading the tarot. I myself am not quite there. So I'm very excited to learn a bit more about you. But before we jump into that, can we first start by having you share how has spirit guided your life? How has spirit guided my life? Well, I think... It's inescapable for everyone. Spirit is guiding us all, whether we're conscious of it or not. As I've gotten older, I've tried to be more conscious and developing my psychic ability, which I think I always knew I had, at least ever since I was a teenager with premonitions and that sort of thing, which I address in my new book, which is out, Tarot Life Lessons. But I've always been very spiritual, even as a child. I grew up in my Episcopal church, which was a bit charismatic. They spoke in tongues. They taught me things like automatic writing, <laughs> which for me, that was normal. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized, oh, people don't usually do this in church. <laughs> so it's always been a part of me, whether you call it God, spirit, source, energy. To me, it's all interchangeable. It's just the divine. And I do believe it's leading us all, whether or not we're paying attention. I 100% agree. Going back to that channel writing, how does the Episcopal Church teach or talk about channel writing? I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, I don't know that it's the Episcopal Church overall, but it was mine, St. James in Potomac, Maryland, back in the 70s. And I was a teenager on a church retreat. We used to go to the center called Claggett, I remember. And we were essentially taught to meditate. I'm not sure they used that word at the time, but to go into a place of deep, quiet and stillness and prayer, to have our notebooks open and our pens in our hand and write what came to us. 
that was so liberating for me because I didn't know the wisdom I had within me, even as a young teen. And as I grew older, it served me as a poet and to some degree a writer in other aspects. So learning to listen within and record it, to me, it was God. It was never like you read about like W.B. Yeats and his wife channeling spirits and doing their automatic writing and it presented as much spookier. But to me, it was just this lovely thing of light and positivity. Oh, that is so fascinating. I wanted to go back to your book now, Tarot Life Lessons. What is it about? So I have been journaling those astounding readings that would come up over the years. I've been a professional tarot card reader since 2007. I've been reading since I was 16 years old, so over 45 years now. As I was doing it professionally, occasionally something would happen and I would just come out of there gobsmacked, whether it was just intensely emotional or some important life-changing revelation, in some cases, something like a murder, like really astounding stories. And I saved them. I had journaled and I wrote them for me just to remember. And as I am also a creative writer, I played with it a little bit and I got the dialogue in there and I tried in media res, as they say, I didn't have any purpose for it initially. But during COVID, my husband said, you know, the book everyone wants to read, because I have three books before this one, which is Sylvia Plath's scholarship, and that's done fine in its little niche. But the book everyone wants to read, my husband said, is your tarot stories. And I thought during quarantine that that would be a good time to just put it together. And so I did. And I had this, you're talking about guided by spirit, this wonderful synchronicity where I got a fan letter on Instagram from a young woman who loves my Plath scholarship. And she's been reading my other books. We got friendly, Tamara Lucid. She's also an author. And she said, you know, well, first of all, she asked me what I was working on. And I told her about the tarot stories. And she said, I know just the right place for you to send these to. Send a note to my friend, John Graham over at Inner Traditions. And she connected us. She did a little email introduction and they snatched it right up. And not only that, they also accepted my next book, which is The Occult Sylvia Plath, which will be coming out in May of next year. So the Plath scholarship continues. (laughs) (laughs) The Occult Sylvia Plath is less scholarship and it's more readable. It's more of a biography, really, but on her occult activity and mysticism. Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. I want to definitely get back to the tarot life lessons, but Sylvia Plath. Now, I remember learning about her and how do I say this sensitively, but wasn't she the writer who... Depressive, suicidal. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And she tried... Put her head in the oven. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's what tried. people know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When I was in graduate school, I had to come up with a semester end project for my poetry class. And I had just been studying Ariel, her great masterpiece of poetry. And I went up to my professor and I said, what's the deal with all the tarot imagery? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, look, and here's the empress and here's the lovers and here's the hermit and here, you know, and I'm showing him and he's like, 
Julia, I've never heard anything about this. And he said, make that your semester end project. Well, that became my life's work. (laughs) (laughs) And what I learned, first of all, Plath was a genius's genius. And each of her aerial poems has at least six different meanings, depending on how you want to view it. And they're all in alignment with the tarot. And she had tarot cards. She read them. She kept her cards on her desk. In fact, her tarot cards just were auctioned off back in 2020 for $200,000. Oh, wow. Something interesting, a little side note. I have believed that I'm helped by Sylvia Plath. I know it sounds crazy. Yeah, everything's crazy here. (laughs) (laughs) It's my purpose to redeem her and get her away from the hysterical suicidal woman label. For more than 50 years, she's been pigeonholed into that. I was born nine months after she died in 1963. I have a lot of interesting synchronicities and correlations with her and her family life and my family life and just the structure. I'm not saying I'm her reincarnated. I am not saying that at all, but I do believe she's helping me. I was just going to say the timing. I have met people who believe that. (laughs) I'll tell you, I'm a lot happier and I'm a lot more level-headed and balanced. So thank goodness for that. You have a good relationship with Ovid. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But. I have gotten messages both in waking times and daydreams and visions in sleep. I got audible message. I've written about some of this where I audibly heard her voice tell me to move through on a part I was very stuck with and about to quit. The real miracle happened in 2021. Dr. Richard Larson. He's a friend of the Plath family. He's elderly now, coming up on almost 80 years old. He was very good friends with Sylvia Plath's mother, Aurelia. And Dr. Larson, through a mutual contact, reached out to me to be the owner of Sylvia Plath's Hermetic Caduceus, which is a magic wand that she hand-carved out of wood. It's got alchemical symbols. It's got her initials SP. She did it as a teenager in summer camp, and I own it. And I wasn't even trying to own it. And if anything could be more direct, and as I said, her tarot cards went for $200,000, and she didn't make those. She just used them. And so needless to say, it's locked up in a very safe place. But I do have pictures on my Instagram and on my Twitter, if anyone wants to see, or they can write me. I just feel so blessed, and I feel that I continually get really affirmations, reassurance that I am on path doing her work, raising the vibration a little bit. We're done with the misery. She was a lot more than her suicide. And if everybody were just looked at who dies by suicide, what a shame to not see the rest of their lives. So it's my job for Sylvia. (laughs) Wow. That's just so amazing. Thank you for sharing that about her. I had no idea her connection to mysticism and the occult. So that is absolutely fascinating. I'll have to take a look at her work from a different perspective now. Yeah, her husband, Ted Hughes, has been widely written about his mysticism, his alchemy and his poems and his witchcraft and astrology. And she journaled often about her tarot and wanting to learn astrology and that she wanted them to be like William and Georgie Yates and do their channeling and their meditations. And she's been photographed with crystal balls. 
and yet no one seemed to take her seriously with any of that. So it's pretty interesting how they look at Ted Hughes with this open mind. In fact, there was even a famous biography on Kabbalah. He was a famous literary critic, Howard Bloom, and he wrote this book on Kabbalah in literature, and he talked only about men, and he called Sylvia Plath a hysteric, and yet Kabbalah, it's basically an umbrella over all the occult sciences, and tarot fits neatly on the Kabbalah tree of life, and I find it amazing that he didn't see it in her work when he's seen it in all these male writers' work. So it's interesting. Times are changing. Yes. <laughs> so I'll just give a quick pitch for my next book in yeah. May, The Occult Sylvia Plath. It was originally going to be the introduction for my first book, which is Fixed Stars Govern a Life Decoding Sylvia Plath. That came out in 2014. But the introduction became a book of its own. And it was just too big. But I talk about all of the background with her family in mysticism, her Freemason father and her mother, whose master's degree was in alchemy and Ted Hughes's side and all the magic and stuff in his childhood and how they came together and they're practicing on the Ouija board. They've written about all of these things in great detail. And I've spent 15 years in the Plath archives, digging up, getting hard evidence that I'm not just making this up and wishful thinking. I think academia thinks, as I'm a tarot card reader, that I'm trying to press this on to her. But I think the occult Sylvia Plath is going to really wake some people up. So that's my pitch for that book. <laughs> yes, I love it. I cannot wait for that to come out. I'm going to definitely grab a copy for myself. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Okay, so speaking of tarot, let's go back to your most recently published book, yeah. Tarot Life Lessons. How did that come to be? Well, as I said, these were journal entries that I just put together and during COVID decided to make it a book. And then I had the blessing of the fan letter through Instagram and the introduction to Inner Traditions, who've just been a joy to work with. So the book was released November 7th. And I had my big book release party on the 8th, and I had over 100 people in attendance, which was pretty phenomenal for a book release party. You're usually lucky to get 10. <laughs> so <laughs> that was fantastic. really cool. Yeah, I felt extremely blessed that night. It was a bit like a wedding receiving line, just like everybody I've ever known in St. Louis, which is where I'm based. <laughs> so a lot of fun. And we've recorded an audiobook. The audiobook is not quite available yet. I think in another week or so that should be coming out. I recorded it in my own voice, which was a challenge. Boy, doing audiobooks, you don't just read. You have to act it out. You have to put on voices. And there are little noises around or your stomach will growl or <laughs> just all these retakes for various reasons that you don't catch right away. So very painstaking, but fun. And I'm getting ready to do the audiobook for The Occult Sylvia Plath next. 
is going to be about twice as long. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous about that. But this has been a great experience altogether. Oh, I bet. And I know you'll reach a lot more readers that way too with the audiobook because they can listen and, and multitask <laughs> while they're listening to the book. Right. When you're driving, when you're on road trips. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So how does this tarot book differ from others that are out there besides your personal readings and stories that you put in there? Yeah. Well, I think there are, gosh, probably millions of how-to tarot books. What this card means, how to interpret, blah, 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 how to do a spread. I didn't want another one of those. I don't think we need another one. So I wanted people to have the experience of what it's like to be a tarot card reader. I would like to think that I'm presenting myself as very human. I'm not sitting on a mountaintop as your guru with all the wisdom of the ages. I'd like to think that I have some wisdom of the ages in there, but you're also going to see my insecurities and you're going to see there's a couple confrontational moments and some angry moments and some moments where I really needed to have some boundaries with clients and didn't necessarily. So you're just going to see me learning and evolving with my clients in very much a story format. I do talk about what cards show up and I talk about the pictures on the cards so people can envision them if they're not familiar with them. But you don't have to be a tarot card reader. You don't have to have any interest in being a tarot card reader to enjoy the stories. And my husband is the best example of that. He loved the book. Obviously, he's a little biased, but he's not a tarot card reader. If you are a tarot card reader, you will get a take on how I do it. And you'll understand that I may go beyond some of the traditional meanings and get into some of the pictures and how they may apply to my exact client at the time. Or how I may just feel into something that the tarot is giving me a message that is just not a traditional message. At the end of each chapter, I have a tip the tips are for if you're buying a tarot deck, if you're interested in learning, a lot of really basic stuff, but just some of my experiences on how to store tarot decks. Should you buy your own? What about layouts? Just some of those little hiccups that as I was learning that were questions for me. Yeah, wonderful. So for somebody who is new to the world of tarot and card decks, how would you explain the difference between a tarot deck and an oracle deck. Okay. An oracle deck is a whole other thing. An oracle deck is basically affirmations. It's you pull one card and there's a message or there's a symbol to meditate on. It's just a one card draw usually. Tarot is a system and it is a system of 78 cards and each card has, I read, some people don't read reversals, but I read reversals. So you double that 78. We have the right side up and the upside down, which change the meaning. And then we have certain layouts, which also change the meaning. It takes a lot longer to learn how to read tarot than it does an oracle deck. The tarot system is structured on the Kabbalah tree of life. So it is a system that is inherently structured for self-actualization and personal growth. 
as Kabbalah is, as really numerology. The tarot embodies numerology, mythology, just a lot of symbolism, even getting into some history and some religion. There are religious stories pictured in some of the tarot. The lore around the tarot is that during the Crusades, the first tarot deck that we know of, the first complete tarot deck that resembles what we've got today, was around 1400s in Italy. It was presented as an elite card game. But this elite card game has this history of a subculture of being taken by the Romani people and traveling across Europe with all of these hidden mystical secrets. So the idea is that in the Crusades, it was the Catholic Church. And if you were anything but Catholic, you could die. And Kabbalah is rooted in Jewish mysticism, of which that tarot deck is framed on the Kabbalah tree of life. To be a Jew, especially during the Crusades, was a real dangerous thing. So the idea is that magical secrets were encoded within the deck. And it would be an easy explanation. Oh, it's a card game. It's a card game. Look, got my kings, got my queens, got my jacks, you know, (laughs) but it's a lot more than that. I had no idea it had such connection to Kabbalah. The Tree of Life, can you just, I'm sure it could potentially be a very lengthy explanation, but can you just briefly explain what is the Kabbalah Tree of Life? The Kabbalah Tree of Life, it's essentially like a blueprint for how the universe is structured, how things work. All of the occult sciences, so astrology, mythology, numerology, tarot, and I'm sure many others that I'm missing here, gematria, some of the more obscure ones, they all fit on this blueprint. It's a diagram and it has the Godhead at the top, which is Kether, Hebrew words, and it has at the base Malkuth, which is in the tarot, it's the fool card and it's the lowest point. The lowest point is our base nature. And so we have this stage of growth. Now, there are seven centers that are in alignment with the chakras that go up the middle. There is this idea of the lightning path, like a zigzag path across the Kabbalah tree of life, which is thought to be kundalini energy. So if you get into yoga and you know about kundalini yoga and this energy yoga, it all fits in. It's incredible. I realized I was studying Kabbalah even before I knew I was studying Kabbalah. Back when I was in my 20s and I read a book by Hermann Hesse called The Glass Bead Game. Its German title is Magister Ludi and it goes by both. It's the story of this monk, Joseph Necht, I believe was his name. He finds a formula, the Mona Lisa equals a perfect symphony by Bach, which equals a sculpture by Degas. The idea is that perfection is perfection is perfection, and it follows the same rhythm and the same mathematical structure. That was the premise of that book. And I didn't know it at the time, but Hesse was writing about Kabbalah. And so 
that understanding stayed with me, even though the book was probably way over my head for when I was in my 20s. But when I found Kabbalah again, it was through the plath work. And I had not expected to ever be a student of Kabbalah, but Ted Hughes was, and he was teaching it to Sylvia. And so once again, down the rabbit hole and realizing how Plath's poems were expanding, Kabbalah is the big umbrella over all of these occult sciences. They all operate on the Kabbalistic system. There are different brands of Kabbalah. So you'll see Kabbalah spelled with a K, and that refers to the Jewish mysticism. You'll see it spelled with a C, and that refers to a Catholic version. There's a whole Catholic mysticism that a lot of people don't know about. Catholicism is quite mystical if you get into their ceremony and their saints sure. and all of that. Their rituals. Yeah, exactly. And then there's Kabbalah with a Q, which came around the previous turn of the century from the 1800s to the 1900s with the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. They are responsible for our modern rider weight based tarot and they updated the structure a little bit they hold to the kabbalah this is a great deck to learn from this is the one i recommend people start with universal weight or rider weight the symbolism is perfect each picture has very in-depth stories that i talk about in tarot life lessons I'm showing you the practical application of tarot cards in real life experiences in tarot life lessons. So you will see how I apply a picture to a person and what that picture tells that person for their growth or to give them tools to get out of problematic situations or to find healing or something like that. Oh, that sounds so interesting. And thank you for sharing about Kabbalah. I had no idea that there were even three different types. So I'm definitely very interested in, and thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I didn't before this. And I've read a lot over these years on Kabbalah. And I feel like I've only just scratched the surface. Oh, I bet. It is a deep subject. Interestingly, the rules of Kabbalah back in the day, they said no one under 40 should study it, and that it should only be for men to study. And the punishment of breaking those rules was madness. And that's really interesting, given what happened to both Sylvia Plath and her husband, Ted Hughes, who were under 40. And of course, we know Sylvia was female. I have been studying it, but not in the way of like working with a rabbi. I've been doing a cursory level of study, (laughs) (laughs) but it's deep and it's complicated. I don't think anybody knows Kabbalah like well. I just think it would take a lifetime. And I think the rabbis... I keep referring to the rabbis because they were the first with it. I think they were onto something with the 40 and over because there is a maturity to mysticism and the ego. And Plath and Hughes were very ego-driven. If you've ever read any of their letters or her journals, she wanted to be the best. She wanted to be rich and famous. (laughs) It was youth. Who didn't at 30 or younger? I think it was a little more power than she could handle. She has a line in her poem, The Bee Meeting, and she says, I am the magician's girl. I do not flinch. I love that. And it is 
part of my introduction to the occult Sylvia Plath because Ted Hughes, her husband, was the magician and he was teaching her everything he knew to make her great. He wanted to make her great. He wanted them both to be. He called her the next Emily Dickinson. And she became that essentially. I mean, Sylvia Plath is right up there with Emily Dickinson, but it took her down. It was all a bit too much. There's a famous article by Al Alvarez, who was an editor of the London Times, who knew Plath and Hughes well. He has an article called, Did Black Magic Kill Sylvia Plath? I don't think it's that easy to say, but I think Kabbalah certainly kind of messed with her mind a little bit. She was in so deep and some dark energies, of which I want no part of, by the way. Same. <laughs> Yeah. I'm um, love and light. Yeah. That's what I'm about. Love and light. hundred <laughs> percent. And we're in good company then. That's fantastic. I was wondering, was there anything else that you wanted to cover that we didn't cover today? Just that Tarot Life Lessons is available with all major booksellers. As I said, the audiobook is coming very soon. So if you're not a reader of paper, if you don't want to collect a lot of books in your bookcase, then you can get the audiobook and also on Kindle and all of that. If you want to hear some sample stories, I recorded two from my reading from my release party, and you can find that on YouTube and just get an idea of what's in the book and also see me read and what my successful book release party. Yay, yeah, wonderful. And I'll have links in the show notes. Awesome. Okay. So to help wrap up this fascinating discussion, Julia, would you be willing to draw however many cards you feel called to draw for the listener for the time that they hear this episode? Sure. What I will say is there's a lot of those kind of readings like on Instagram and that sort of thing. I think sometimes they can be very meaningful. I do like to tune into an individual most of the time, but what I'm going to do right now is just ask Spirit to give me the right cards for the right listeners who are tuning in. I love it. I'm going to put down five cards. That's a spread I like. Ooh. All right. So I said, ooh, because my central card in the five cards is my favorite. It's the high priestess. Ooh. She is our intuitive or our psychic. And so as the central card, I do believe that that energy is in you, in your show, and in the people who listen. So what I'll say about the high priestess, she's the strongest woman in the tarot. She may choose to have a man or not, but she's not needy. She has her foot on the moon, and so she embodies a lot of femininity, but I would say the later side of femininity. So it's kind of a coarse old-fashioned word, but they say maiden, mother, crone. And the high priestess would be the crone. So she would be in the later third of her life, usually post-menopausal, but she embodies all the wisdom and all the femininity. And she's a lovely card here. She sits between two pillars and uh, the black and the white, and it's like Boaz and Joaquin, if I'm saying that right. And these are pillars of Solomon's temple. It's about wisdom, basically. So that's our central card, our core issue here. I would say, Laura, that everybody who's listening 
is about wisdom, is about intuition, is about embodying their highest selves and going for that. Oh, and she is considered to be Isis, by the way. Can't go wrong with Isis. Oh, what a lovely card. Yes. So (laughs) in looking at the other cards, we have the Five of Cups in reverse. This is an interesting card. When we look at it straight up, this person is crying over three spilled cups, but two behind him are just fine. And so straight up, it's a focus on the negative. In reverse, it does seem that your listeners are doing active work not to focus on the negative, which I think is imperative today. It is so easy to turn on the television or the radio or read whatever and get sucked into this nightmare world. I'm also a teacher and student of A Course in Miracles, and I was doing my workshop with my group yesterday. And one of the things that we really came to understand between our meditation and our reading in the workshop was we got to bring it, we have to localize it. We have to do the micro. We cannot do the macro. The macro is overwhelming. The macro is going to destroy us on the energetic level. The truth is that you or me or any of our listeners are probably helpless with these wars going on or with our social unrest or with the climate or the economy. These are big outside problems. But what we can do is work on our energy to not focus on that negative and to be a source of love and to be a source of light and to lift up those around us and help with our healing as their healing. And then we can do this critical mass. And if we all lift ourselves up in the smaller worlds that we live in, then we can get it going. And that can have a more global implication. But until then, we've got to focus on the positive, not this negative. This is an interesting card. You've got the four of cups in reverse. I like to point out straight up, I say that this is a card of someone who's picky or particular and refusing love that's offered. In reverse, this is the opposite. And in reverse, this is saying, let's give love, let's extend ourselves, let's help. So it's really a card of being at service. And how can I help? Being here for a reason, looking for your calling, whether it's just to open the door for somebody who's having a hard time with a lot of packages, or whether it's babysitting for someone who is totally stuck without a sitter, or talking to an elderly person, or something on a grander scale. But this is just saying, look for ways you can be of service every day. I do like to tell everyone, I start every morning asking to be a channel of love and light and to pass the messages on and to be there to do what I can for what I'm meant to do. I have the page of cups in reverse. This is interesting. So pages are our children and our young people. In reverse, this is just saying, be aware of the problems. The young people have it maybe harder than anyone right now. They've grown up with technology 24-7. They are being completely sucked in. And so we just have concern to be aware of, to maybe especially work with them, especially pray for them, however that shows up. And then the last card is the five of wands in reverse. And this is about fighting with ourselves, which of course is pointless. 
So it's just a little bit of information there that we beat ourselves up. We have superhero expectations and names we call ourselves. And this is just saying, drop that. We're all just doing the best we know how. (laughs) We want to seek the peaceful place, not the inner conflict. So that's my reading for everyone. Wow. I can resonate with a lot of that. So (laughs) I bet the listeners will be able to, to at least the ones who are meant to hear that message. So Julie, I just want to thank you so much for your time, for sharing your wisdom and for sharing with us where your professional life is taking you. It's been such a pleasure having you on. So thank you so much. You bet. I appreciate you having me. And that was another episode of a guided life podcast. To connect with me via my socials or for links to my book titled Guided or my card deck called From Your Spirit Guides, please visit my Linktree site at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash guided west. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, love and light always. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.